Hello, Galaxy Geckos. It's time once again for uh, another episode of Oral Gex. I'm your host, Izzy Kestrel. And I'm your other host, Amelia Laserwalker. And we are here today to talk about our good friend, Gex. Gex! So uh, this week, we played more of Gex 3D, Enter the Gecko. Uh, one of the all-time great PlayStation games. One of the the top platformers, I would say. I don't have any sales numbers to back that up, but I'm sure it was up there. Uh, also came out on the Nintendo 64, which I do have a little bit more to talk about uh, regarding that this time. And I will I will also continue to remind people that there is a Game Boy Color port that exists that, um, that we will we will do its own episode on the Game Boy ports at some point because the concept of porting like the N64 version is a different version of the PlayStation version, but they are both 3D platformers as opposed to a 2D platformer. So that's presumably its own thing. Yes, yes. Content-wise, the PS1 and 64 versions are more or less the same, uh, plus or minus a couple levels and, you know, about a half of the voice clips. But the Game Boy game is basically nothing. Like, it's Gex is in it, and some of the level themes are similar, but it's it's a very different experience. Um, I think I think a full episode is, is uh, ambitious. Maybe maybe we'll talk a little bit about it at the end of the, the Gex Two playthrough. So uh, last week or whatever the last recording we did was, we played the beginning levels of Gex Two: Enter the Gecko. Gex Gex sorry Gex Three D: Colon Enter the Gecko. I think I think the lore we established is Gex Three D: Enter the Gecko is the UK version, right? Yes, but uh, sorry, Gex. Parentheses, open parentheses, three D parentheses, colon, enter the gecko. We played enter the gecko, is what we're saying. We played enter the gecko. The second, the second one. We played Gex, the second one, and we played uh, the first tune level, which was out of tune. We played Smell Razor, and then we fought the Tiki Brothers, and the the gates opened and unlocked a new area for us to trap around in. And the new area, we have three new levels. One is another retreading of the horror uh, genre, just kind of some different level layouts, but maybe some new enemies. Then we have the Cyber Central. That is called, yeah, it is, the the general theme is called Circuit Central. The exact Mm -hmm. level we played is www.com.com with the middle .com spelled out. Yeah, yeah. And then we have the 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 racist Chinese level and the uh, the boss Mushu pork. So I, I think I want to jump right in. Unless you have any like general thoughts about like your playthrough this time. I know you lost your save data, and that was kind of a bummer. But um, I don't know. Do you feel, were you more excited about playing those le- first levels again, or were you kind of like? I I will say like I when I reached a wall where I had to like go and get I'd gotten one level one remote each from Frankensteinfeld and www.com.com and Mao Zedong. And I had to get at least one more. Maybe it was two more. I had to get two more before unlocking the boss. And I was legitimately excited to go back to Toon World instead of do those other levels, <laughs> which, which, which isn't, that isn't praise for those new levels <laughs> or, or praise for the older levels in retrospect. I just figured it would be faster and was excited to get it out of the way, which is not great. That's fair. So we'll talk about uh, Frankensteinfeld first, which is a name. Um, as you mentioned off off mic, it would be better if it was uh, Frankensteinfeld. I don't know yeah. why they... <laughs> like, like, assuming that is a joke they were going for, I think that is a strictly better implementation of that joke. 
I guess maybe they were worried that we wouldn't get that it was a Seinfeld reference yeah. unless they did the whole thing. It's it's also weird because like we will we will talk about things that are like potentially too confusing to be racist later on in this episode. <laughs> but like I I don't think this name is anti-Semitic, but I'm also not convinced it's not. <laughs> Fair. Let's see here. So I'm looking at Frankensteinfeld on the Gex Wiki just to remind myself. Uh according to Gex Wiki. This stage's castle is reminiscent of Bram Stoker's Dracula movies. Huh. How about that? I Have you watched those movies? Is it like a, a one-to-one mapping of the layout or um well so I'm also I'm also slightly confused. So the phrase Bram Stoker's Dracula movies, like Bram Stoker was the author who wrote the book Dracula, correct? And like uh, I believe so. I, I I believe the Francis Ford Coppola film from the early 90s that was a wonderful Dracula movie that I highly recommend with like Gary Oldman this and Keanu Reeves and uh... Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Like it, everything about the slaps, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is called Bram Stoker's Dracula, but I believe there was also only one of them. And I don't obviously notice any connection here. Yeah. So not a series, uh, not, not directed by Bram Stoker. Yeah. <laughs> Acclaimed, acclaimed cinema director, 19th century author Bram Stoker. I also do uh, a slight tangent. Uh, I, I have not seen this movie yet. It's been on my list for a while. But uh, I have a little fun fact about it that I learned. Uh, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder apparently get married in this movie. And I don't think they knew at the time, but the person that married them was like legally inefficient. So they were married legally for like 20 years or something after this movie happened. Oh, that's incredible. And they were not dating or anything. It was just something that they were just like, ah, okay. And I think they finally had to like get legally divorced when one of them wanted to marry someone else. (sighs) Well, so yeah, I saw this movie for the first time within the last month or two, and I highly recommend it. It is very good. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll get to this soon, especially because now that I know there's a Gex connection, so I have to watch it. A connection. No, I'm going to cut it out. But also like, I (laughs) please cut it out. (laughs) I also don't like this is like 90% the same tile set as the previous horror level, yes. right? Like this, like this is just someone editorializing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good question. It, it was the first scream TV level also noted as being, uh, no, <laughs> yeah, there's no Correct. mention of Bram Stoker's Dracula on the first, gonna, uh, gonna throw a citation needed into first level, the gets fandom wiki. <laughs> I, I should also note there is dramatically less uh, details when you when you look under Frankensteinfeld and you look at the list of uh, the missions and strategy section for each one. There's a lot of like basically a walkthrough. Yeah, it's like a game facts guide. Yeah. If you look at Smell Razor by comparison, it lists the three challenges. There's no description under them. It's just the names of the three, mm. which is uh, I don't know. The, the it does say this article is a stub. The Gex Wiki, as good a resource as it can be, also has some content problems at places. And, you know, our listeners, I know you're all big Gex fans out there. I would really encourage you to go support this website and go, you know, uh, update it and get it all up up to code because it's not quite there yet. And I think we could do better as a fan base. You, you and I included, Amelia. Yeah. So, yeah, Frankensteinfeld is a level, uh, a haunted level, uh, reminiscent of Brand Stoker's Dracula movies. And like the other couple of levels, you have to get three remotes that are red remotes, and then there's two hidden ones, or there's one hidden one, and there's one that you get for collecting all of the Jason hockey masks and skulls and all that. So there are three challenges in this one. We got run the axe gauntlet, 
head down the ramp and and uh, stick across the ceiling maze. Which ones of these did you do? I did run the axe gauntlet. Um, okay. And the first thing that I the boring one. I thought the, I thought the axe gauntlet. I thought the guy thought the gauntlet was pretty fun. Okay. Like, okay. The initial thing that I viscerally hated about this level is that you get out of the first room and there are two doors and you can go to the left or the right. And again, unlike Mario 64, say, where when you pick a challenge, it will sort of give you like a camera overview of where you want to go. Here you are just like, cool, if my goal is to run the X gauntlet, because I told the game that I wanted to run the X gauntlet, I have to choose one of these doors and hope it is the right one like five minutes from now when I get to the end of a path. Yeah. Yeah, the videos are not very helpful, Uh, especially, you know, I think they were like they were not great in the first couple of levels. I think in the second wave of levels are even worse because each one of them yeah. kind of has this like all th- I think all three of the levels in this set are are kind of maze like and labyrinthian and you don't really know where you're going until you get there. Yeah. Uh, and the little the little snippets of like, here's where the TV is, which is like at the end of the level. Not super helpful. Especially literally yeah. in this level, all three TVs are in the same room. They're just like on ramps that go up from three different parts of of the house which i can only assume is an homage to bram stoker's dracula movie yeah and like i i appreciate that like this feels worse because they are trying to make larger more open world levels like that is a that is a cool novel thing but it also Mm -hmm. feels like they don't quite have the tools to pull it off whether the tools are things like technical tools to show to do like camera flybys or conceptual tools like how are they how are they doing like how are they enabling like wayfinding and pathfinding within their level design geometry mm-hmm. yeah and there's also like there's some weird misdirection in this in this level i feel like well i i got lost a lot which you know yeah. i'm sure is, is not uncommon but uh there there is a bit like right at the beginning there is this there's like a circular room that you can go into three like three it's actually hard to tell how many doors there are because it's like uh, a circular room that you only see from a fixed camera point and i think they're lit differently and the light might indicate which one is which but i couldn't really tell and then in the middle of the room there's a there's a hole and around this hole right there's a texture that you can see that has arrows pointing down and I jumped in that hole because I'm like, oh, there must be a secret down there. There's not. It's just a pit where you fall down and die. I don't know why they put those arrows there. <laughs> it's very because they're very visible. It's like something. It's not like they're. I don't know. Maybe that oh, was something. Physical they, comedy. They got you. They did get me right there. There's a. There's a really. Have you played the Neverhood by any chance? A little bit, not a lot of it, but I'm I own a copy and I'm familiar with it. Oh, really? You own a copy? That's great. I have a physical copy with the box. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I I, I got it for store for like two dollars. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I I got it. Uh, my aunt, when I was young, got a gateway PC, and it came with like the little cow pattern like CD binder full oh, of like yeah. you know probably like Encyclopedia Britannica or something, and like all this like free software, and the Neverhood was in there. And so I played that a ton at my at my aunt's house. Um, and then as I guess it's kind of a trend in my family, because I've I've told the story on a previous pod about my grandpa giving me a 3DO. My aunt also realized I, I'm not really a big Neverhood person. Uh, I don't know why I'd, I should be keeping this game that my uh, niece likes to play. 
I should give it to her. And so for my birthday, she gave me the Neverhood disc and then I got to play it whenever I wanted, not only at my aunt's house. So I played that game a lot and I really liked that game despite the creator's uh, weird transphobia and uh, his his kind of controversy. I'm not really a big fan of Duck to Naple, but like I, I adore that game. Yeah. I guess for, for quick context, if anyone is not familiar with it, it is an old school point and click adventure game in the LucasArts tradition, but it is entirely claymation. Yes. Um, and like there's there's other interesting stuff about it. It's a cool game, but like that is that is the one liner. <laughs> yes, it's 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 gorgeous. Uh, there is actually a really cool like making of video that I think was on the disc. Do you remember watching this, Amelia? I don't think so. There's a really cool making of video where you can watch it. And it's like it's great. I probably can find it on YouTube. It's like super like compressed because it's sitting on the CD with the rest of the, the game. But they show you like they have a literal just like a giant table with the neverhood on it because they made it all out of actual clay. So they have a giant model like dollhouse size scale of the neverhood. And then there are these segments where it's like most of the game is like, you know, 2D monkey island. You're like pointing, clicking and walking side to side. And you'll go out into like these 3D areas where you are like walking first person um, in different stages and the camera kind of pans around. And so to do those camera panning parts, they would just take a camera and lower it into this tiny neverhood and then just kind of like wheel it around. And it's so cool that they like actually, I mean, obviously they made the whole thing, but it's cool to like see it all from like a bird's eye view. Yeah. And like, it's not, it's not obvious from the outset that they would make it as like a single contiguous space. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so cool. Anyway, there's a, there's a really good bit in there where you drain a lake and that's one of the puzzles and you can then make a staircase down into the lake. And when you walk down the lake, there is a there's a drain, right? Obviously, where the, the lake, the water had to go somewhere. So there's a drain in the, in the middle of the lake and you walk over there and there's a sign and you're doing this like the 3D kind of like, you know, movement uh, that I mentioned before. So you start like kind of at the bottom of the staircase and you're like so far away and then you get a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And you can, as you're approaching, you can see these signs around it. And there's a bunch of signs that say, do not jump in this hole. Do not jump in this drain. You will die. There's nothing under here. It goes to nowhere. Do not do it. But of course, it will let you do it if you get close enough and you click on the drain. So you get over there and then Clayman, the star of the game, just kind of like smiles at the camera, gives a thumbs up. And then he just like drops and butt bounces into the drain. And then it, shows you like a zoom out of like just black nothingness and the bottom of the neverhood and him just like as a little dot just falling into nothingness and then you get a game over and that's the only way you can get a game over in that game that's the only place you can get a game over and it's very funny so speaking of jumping in holes and dying gags that is one that i think about a sneak peek of our upcoming podcast oral neverhood i i could go on about the neverhood absolutely <laughs> We we I think we could make a pitch for our um you know when we kind of move into general mascot territory, the Neverhood actually did get a PlayStation release in Japan, and it was also uh, succeeded by Skull Monkeys, which is a platformer starring Clayman. So, is it a mascot platformer? Kind of. <sighs> anyway, that's my Neverhood tangent. So, uh, did you just do the one remote in this level, or did you? Do... I did. I ran the axe gauntlet. I, th- I think like. The actual gauntlet itself was like a little 3D platforming section that felt very Crash Bandicoot-y in that you were like mm-hmm. moving forward while dodging a bunch of axes and other stuff. And that was fun. But leading up to it, like as you mentioned, like it felt extremely maze-like. 
And I think the sort of big difference between this set of levels and the previous set of levels is like I, I complained on the last episode that like we lost that sense of climbing on walls and like taking advantage of like Gex's lizardness to de- to good design sense. And we got that here. We got a lot of climbing on walls and it was extremely confusing in context of a maze that is now happening in three dimensions instead of two. <laughs> well, I think you missed out because you could have done stick across the steel- ceiling maze and then you would have got your mazes and you would have got your crawling. You it oh, had I'm, it all. I'm sure I will have to go back and get that in order to progress at some point. Absolutely. And I obviously did. Again, I mentioned last time that I'm going to do 100% in this game and I'm still living up to that so far. I've gotten every remote that has been available to us to this point. And uh, I also, maybe it's a good time to confess, I actually replayed the the first set of levels again because I wanted to try the 64 version and see how uh, different and janky it was. And uh, it's rough. I, I don't know how much of this is like emulator stuff where it's just like the emulation is bad. That's probably part of it. There's a lot of like tearing. I can see the seams and the level mm-hmm. and like it looks generally a lot worse. That's probably not too far from the actual truth. But it was very interesting to uh, play these levels again. And, you know, I knew I knew pr- previously that they had cut about half the voice lines in uh that Dana had recorded for these games. I didn't realize that they didn't cut down the frequency. Oh no. I think I must've heard him say, I'm just looking for the gift shop in the bathroom at least 20 times in a single playthrough of the cartoon level. I mean, if I was just looking for the gift shop in the bathroom and I kept not finding it, I would probably say it with repeated frequency and urgency. That's true. That's true. If there's any one line that and maybe I, was that intentional? I don't know. But yeah, each level kind of had something like that where I don't remember the other ones as well. But he would just keep saying the same same shit over and over and over again. And the the main thing, the big thing that I want to point out, which I guess I'll, I'll get to as we get to the other levels, too. There is a little bit of censorship, shall we say, of of editing that was done because the I wouldn't say that Gex is an adult game. But there is some mature humor, maybe sometimes uh, more on the adult side of humor. It's funny because I, I know what you mean. I would not describe Gex's humor as mature. <laughs> <laughs> adult? Immature humor. It is immature yeah. humor. Uh, so there, there are a couple things. I, I, do, I do imagine that some of the signage is just... Uh, there, there's a lot of missing signage, for one thing. There's a lot of signs just not there in the 64 version, which probably is just like a memory thing. But there are signs that are still there. But they have changed. So the, the most notable one in Toon World from the first batch of levels, uh, there's a sign that I think we mentioned last time. And uh, here's where I'll put like a little like dream uh, sound effect and then we'll do a flashback. What, what did you think of the, the pimp strut inside? It was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that one. There was a, a sign that said pimp strutton. And now the sign says cool strutton. Miyamoto saw that and he was like, no, no, not in my games. And then I also want to note that when you start this game, when you start the 64 version, it is stark how much of the menu stuff they cut out. So you'll remember in the PS1 version, you kind of start out, there's like a little cutscene where it's like Gex, you know, doing his like karate kid thing. And then he's like getting roughed up by the FBI, kind of set up the lore. None of that in this one. 
there's like a like a four frame like animation of Gex like running from Res, and then title card, and then the menu is not the big, uh, beautiful, majestic open world that we had in the PS One version. It is just you go to the, you are in the media dimension, you are in the main level, the overworld, and this just has new game load and options overlaid like the pause menu the player base on n64 must have been so confused without all that deep lore context yeah no they probably had no idea why gex was there what he was doing i mean there's probably some in the in the instruction booklet i'm sure they got a little bit of that but like you rent those games they don't always give you the instruction booklet sometimes they lose them sometimes they don't even like give you them they're like oh these kids are gonna ruin this is he is he hanging out outside the blockbuster making sure that any kid who leaves with a copy of gex 3d colon into the gecko is handed a copy of the gex novelization on their way out Mm -hmm. i had to explain it to them to like make sure they they set it right the thing is i stole the manual the first time i rented it (laughs) and then every subsequent time i would do a separate rental process where i lend lend them the manual and be like you have to give this back or i will beat you up oh wow so you're you're part of the problem you're i'm 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 keeping the peace Right, I can't it trust. Sounds, these it sounds. It sounds to me like you're you're injecting yourself as an unnecessary middleman. You are no, you are no, the no, no, no. manual. No, well, because I don't believe Blockbuster. Blockbuster doesn't use force. They won't send the goons out. For, they care yeah. about the cartridge. They don't care about the manual. They won't send the goons out for the manual. I will. I will throw down for the manual. Anyway, uh, there's a couple other edits in the 64 version I'll talk about, but let's let's move on to the next uh, the next level. Let's talk about www.com.com. I think that I think that was a joke 30 Rock ended up making or something like that. I love the idea of this level, like the concept of just like you are inside a computer by which it is like you are running around a little motherboard like it is a city is like an aesthetic from the 90s that we have lost that I think is great. Uh, I I find it shocking, honestly, like, well, I, I understand how they get here, but also seeing the the www.com joke in the front and maybe that's kind of the thing with all the level titles right where like smell razor there's not really smells and you're not really raising anything you know yeah. like frankenstein felt it doesn't really land okay but what what if what if there had been a like frankenstein doing stand-up comedy oh, God, that would have been great so don't we're gonna cut that part out too because i need to write that down <laughs> for my own files <laughs> <laughs> the the thing about www.com.com is that there there is such a ripe space being online right and this is kind of like the thing i come back to a lot when i'm thinking about gex in in like if they made a gex 4 right in in the 2020s what would that look like and i think it would be because he's always kind of just a little bit behind things i think it would be like a hypnospace outlaw or something that is like this is very strongly pulling like he sucked in the internet and then he's doing internet things, but it's not quite like today's internet. It's more like nineties message boards and you're inside a computer, but we're not actually pulling from like any computer culture stuff. There's no like, like, I don't think there's even like floppy disks or anything. Like, is that even really about computers? It's, it's literally just about like technology, like in general, right? You're picking well, up batteries. I, and I, I will say the one, the one very good visual pun is that, one of the one of the enemy types is a computer bug yeah yeah so the, they they don't commit to it they do a little bit but for the most part it is very just like oh you're just inside a computer and that's kind of like as far as it goes yeah. but the the title can't i can't help but look at the title and be like oh but like shouldn't it be like online and he's not it's and that a, disappoints me. a a like 
auto scroll surfing level where he's surfing the web. <laughs> that would be good. I would like that. Uh, so, so something that actually it's interesting that the the Gex Wiki actually mentions this. It calls this out. Um, it also notes here this uh, the mission and strategy section was adapted and taken from Sinjin's Gex to Gex's guide. So uh, at least they credited their source here, which is I guess just another guide they found online. So the thing I noticed about this level. And the other levels, and it says it right here in the first uh, the first description for a strategy. Uh, this is another one of those levels where neither mission is long enough for you to get all 120 collectible items. And this is something that maybe you uh, didn't pick up on in, in your... Nope. So I have not been... I'm, I'm doing my any percent run. You're non-committal, you know, not committing to the, the, full, the full Gex experience. But me having done 100% all the way through so far... Uh, it was uh, acutely, uh, I was, I was very aware that there are not enough collectibles in these levels for you to collect them all. Right. And maybe when I was like eight or whatever, and I was playing this for the first time, maybe I didn't notice that because I was like still bad enough at video games that I would die, you know, enough that I'd be like, oh, well, I'll just go pick up some more things and, you know, whatever. But Today, being the hardcore pro esports gamer that I am, you know, I have 20 lives at any one time and I never, almost never die unless, you know, there's like a pit that says jump into it. Then I might die to that. But, you know, any any respectable, uh, honest deaths, I would never. And uh, I noticed very quickly that I could not get enough things to get these remotes. And I had to just outright go lose enough health to die and respawn in order to get the, the silver so, remote in this level. And so to, to make sure that I'm understanding the problem. So we know that in order to get the secret remote, you have to collect all 120 collectibles across. Or do you like you collect like 50 of them or whatever, and then upgrade to the next tier of collectibles and do that again until you collect all the last one. Yes. So what I'm hearing is you must collect all of them in a single run of a level where a run of a level may include multiple deaths and dying does not reset your count. So since there are places where you have to choose, like, am I going to the left or the right, depending on which one I am doing, you have to go down multiple mutually exclusive paths in order to collect all the remotes, but not trigger an actual red remote. Yes. But I would also say that even if you like, say like the hypothetical that you, there are usually branching paths and you go down one path and you get like half of the 120 collectibles. I went back. I I I went backwards. I backtracked and mm-hmm. I went to the other route. There are still not enough. Like you can go through, you can sweep the entire the entire level, kill every enemy, pick up every collectible oh. that's just scattered around the area. There's not enough. So but but when you die, it resets the collectibles. When you die, you keep the collectibles. So you can but it, die, but, but it resets their position. So they respawn yes. again. Yes. So theor- theoretically, if you had infinite lives and an opening room that had five collectibles, you could collect those five, die, collect those five again, die and do that like 60 times to get the, to get the remote. Yes. Whew. Yeah. So questionable design choice. Yeah. I mean, and this, this, like, I feel bad, like, again, not knowing what conditions this game was produced under, what, what, what the people working on it were thinking, mm-hmm. or sort of what pressures they had placed on them. But it reminds me a lot of the first game, where, like, a lot of the stuff in the first game, like, I looked at 
2D character platformers from the same year. And it wasn't like we didn't know how to make 2D platformers then. Gex was just not great, again, because sort of we know all the really bad crunch conditions that led to the release right. of that game. Whereas this feels like the same thing of like, this is introducing problems that Mario 64 deftly avoided two to three years earlier. <laughs> right. Yeah, very, very strange. Also, like noting, you know, it does feel like the the pit with the arrows pointing down and then also like this bit. These are stark differences to like even the levels before it where out of tune uh, felt like a complete thing that had enough con had like enough stuff. You know, you could you could get the silver remotes easily in those first two levels without having to die. Also, also, uh, I, I thought of a, a little bit from I've been rewatching the uh, well, maybe not even rewatching. I watched so when the the no clip the documentary is on YouTube, they put out a Crystal Dynamics thirtieth uh, anniversary video. I think so. Obviously, when that came out, I watched up until the Gex bit, and then they started talking about Soul Reaver uh, Legacy of King, and I'm like, I'll come back to this later. And uh, I decided to go back because I'm I'm you know doing this uh, all this uh, research right now. And I wanted a bigger picture of what Crystal Dynamics was up to. And also talk, you know, they mentioned Gex more often later on in the video. I just wasn't, I watched the segment about Gex. And there's a bit where one of the artists mentioned, I think it was Bruce Strally. He mentions in the cartoon level, he was just going nuts, right? He was like, the way that their, like, their pipeline for development was set up, where he could like do his like modeling and then he could like place the items in a level. That was all stuff that was like kind of in his purview or he was like able to do all that, that placement and everything. He said, talked, said some stuff about like, oh yeah, we had like a text file that you would like type in the name of the item and that's how you put it in the level or something. It was very good. But he mentioned in that, that first out of tune level that since he wasn't like, uh, like the development performance stuff wasn't really his, his main thing, he would just keep putting stuff in there. And you could tell when you look at that level, there's just so much shit. Right. Uh. There's signs and he like loved putting signs in. So he put a lot of signs. There's like a lot of different models, a lot of different enemies. Um, you know, it switches gears to like the Wily Cowdy section, like halfway through the level. And he said that like he would he would put all the stuff in and then like the engineers would be like, hey, all your shit crashed the game because you put too much stuff in. And then he'd be like, okay, well, I don't want to remove any of it, though. So what he did is he just pulled the uh, the rendering way back. So when you play that level, and I don't know if you remember this uh, that well, but when you play this level, there is like Silent Hill fog, like, yeah, pretty close to you, right? You can't really like see very far ahead. And of course, it's even more pronounced in the 64 version. Of course. But, yeah. you know, it's just funny that he was just like, oh, I'm not going to. I'm not gonna. Uh, it's not gonna compromise their artistic vision. <laughs> no, not not gonna compromise his vision, and I'll just pull the pull the calling back. So you can tell that the first level, like you know, they were just like going for it. But like, I'm I'm curious to see that next cartoon level if it'll be as fantastical or if it'll be a little bit more constrained as these other levels might be. Okay, anything more to talk about with the uh, computer one? I found this infuriating, especially <laughs> the, the 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 final jump room of the the remote that was like scaling the bionic tower um, mm -hmm. was just like, so the mechanic of this war of this level, or at least, at least that one remote actually, yeah, it's for, for both the remotes um, was there is, there's sort of an orb you can collect that gives you a timed power up that lets you like activate electronics things. So it was a way of sort of adding a timed element to jumping puzzles. And so the final 
the sort of final challenge for this bionic tower remote was basically a series of jumping puzzles where you're jumping up platforms and relying on that timed element. And the jumping was just like the jumping in this game is just fiddlier than I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And it was timed. And when you screwed up, you fell all the way to the bottom and had to start again. And I actually got locked a couple times and I had to reload from my save file because like the way the last room worked, there were a couple platforms where like they would be on the ground and you would get the power up and then jump on them. And then they would sort of move up like an elevator and then stay up there. And in theory, if you got back on the ground again and got the power up, if you like jumped up and touched the bottom of them, they would come back down again. But that wasn't consistent. And one of them just like kept despawning. Like I would miss the jump and I would go back to try to like catch it as like the shortcut that would stop me from having to do the entire thing again. And I legitimately don't know if this was a bug or something intentionally meant to make me go back and do the whole puzzle again, but it just wasn't there. (laughs) Yeah, I had that problem. Hmm. But again, you know, esports hardcore gamer i know it's it's skill yeah. level difference you just you just, you just did it the first time yeah i just did it the first time yeah and that well and then i went back and died and they did it a second time because i had to get all the collectibles yeah <sighs> just built different i guess yeah so the, the, i i one more thing i want to mention about this uh this level and actually maybe not this i think they're reused in this level but they're also um in the frankenstein level at the end there are these weird, like, cyber, like, spiky balls. Do you remember these? Not particularly. They're, they're in the TV room. So, like, when you go in Frank and Seinfeld, when you, no matter what route you finish, they're they're kind of circling the, the, the walkway up to the TV. Hmm. And they are, I think, actually, I look on the, on the wiki. They're not in the wiki. I guess they're not really enemies because you can't kill them, maybe. But they're in, they're on... They're in in Frankensteinfeld where you go up the the walkways to the TVs. They're also on the the ceiling climbing maze. They're kind of like patrolling back and forth. Um, and then I believe that they're in this level too, where they're just they're like they're weird. But like the, here, they kind of make sense. I still don't know like what they map to as far as like they look like a computery thing, right? Yeah, I don't know why they're in Frankensteinfeld. There's nothing horror themed about. They're uh, obviously from the Circuit Central uh, family, so I was bothered by that. It felt like they could have done like flaming skulls or something a little bit more uh, thematically appropriate for that last part. But <sighs> all right, let's. Uh, oh, the, the one other thing I want to shout out here is there yeah. was a room where there was like a moderately interesting jumping puzzle where there are like platforms that you can sort of see because they're like below. I want to say a water level, although there wasn't water. But you could sort of see these platforms and there was like a pulsating ball of light that rotated across each one. And if you touched the ball of light, it, it hurt you or knocked you off or something like that. So you sort of had to time your jumps. Um, but if you missed a jump or got knocked off, you were in like a wind tunnel. And so when you fell off, instead of just like respawning, losing health or restarting at the beginning of the level or whatever, there was like a bespoke animation for you like being blown back to the winds by the yeah. wind to the start of the puzzle. That was interesting and it took like twice as long as i feel like it should have so it felt like <laughs> it was arguably punishing you more for failure than if it just immediately respawned you back at the start and took away a heart and like i'm glad it didn't cost any health but i would have paid that health to skip that timer <laughs> but also you were rewarded by this bespoke animation i guess we always like seeing our boy gex doing new animations that's true gotta 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 show off his tongue bones 
of which there are many, apparently. Okay, let's talk about uh, Mao Zedong. Speaking of tongue, the next level, the first level in the Kung Fu Theater channel. God, there's another Kung Fu Theater channel? <laughs> uh, yeah, of course there is. So this one is interesting because it only has two red remotes. Yeah. Which kind of breaks the convention we've had so far of, of having three. Maybe time constraints. Maybe they just couldn't think of a third thing to do in this world. But the uh, the two missions we have in this one are defeat the deadly dragon and then traverse the rocking pillars. So which of these did you do? I did both of them. You did both of them. Wow. Yeah. Which... We will talk about how I, I guess, we, why don't we talk first about it? I actually really liked the Deadly Dragon boss fight as it was. Yeah. Um, they're like, they introduce this mechanic where there is a cannon and you can like tail whip it to shoot the cannon and you can also rotate it, which like you don't rotate it by like holding down a use button to rotate it or something like that. You physically push the front of the cannon and it rotates, mm-hmm. um, which like, they use that once or twice and then you get to a boss fight where all of a sudden you're in a circular arena and you're in the middle and there's a dragon circling around you and you have to like, like you could leave it in position and just wait forever for the dragon to come all the way around. But it, the clear intent is to like rotate and try to do it more quickly by like anticipating where the dragon is. And that was actually, that was really cool. Like I, I liked that sense of like, this is a boss fight that is not a like formal boss fight level. Again, like we will, we will talk. I'm sure about the the very weird thematic representation in this world, and mm-hmm. and like it feels weird, like just killing a like Chinese dragon, I guess. But yeah, I like that. I think more than anything else, I did in this in this play session. Good. I'm I'm glad you like something in this game, and this one of my favorite games of all time. I'm glad you finally like something. I know you like it. I'm having a rough time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so uh, I did both of these a- as well, and I don't like this level. But aside from all the the culturally insensitive bits, uh, it's just it's even more confusing and maze like than the uh, than the horror one was. Yeah. And like I, I appreciate the like once you set off on a maze, it was generally pretty linear. Although there were there were a couple puzzles where like they have you climb up onto the ceiling and then intentionally want you to drop down on the right place, or like it was not exactly clear where you were supposed to go when climbing on ceilings. Mm-hmm. Other than that, like I appreciated that it was broadly linear. It took me a depressingly long time to figure out where to go in the first room because like. What is cool is you drop into this world and it, and it's got the vibes of like, this is just a cool little town. And it's awkward because it is unclear if it is trying to be Chinese or Japanese in a way that is clearly not intentional and is just racist. Yeah. But like, there is no obvious way to go. And instead of there being all these cute little shops where you like go through a door, you have to like destroy a wall in order to get into one of the buildings in a way that doesn't make any sense and isn't intuitive. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's um this level. Uh there's a there's a number of, of uh pain points in this level, in my opinion. Some of the, the doors are confusing. There's kind of like a vibe that you're climbing. It's it's not even really that clear, I think, just by the scale of things, but you're like sort of climbing upwards um yeah. as you like maneuver through the houses and kind of come back out to the main area again. And uh if you fall down that that sucks, you have to do it all over again. 
there's also a bit, the bit where you get the silver remote in this level, this one took me the longest, I think, probably to find you. There's an area where I think it's an area where you're doing cannon stuff and then you like you hit a gong and then you make a staircase to another window that you break open and go elsewhere. But there's like like rooftop um, awnings above the the lower level and you can see doors up there that have been breakable before. So you're like, OK, well, I probably have to go find the remote in one of those doors. As far as I could tell, there was no sensible way of getting up there. I would walk up the stairs and like I could get on the stair and then there'd be like a little a little slant to the roof. And it seemed like I had to jump from the staircase to the roof, but it was far enough apart that it was like, I don't think I was supposed to make that jump. Like it felt wrong to me. It felt like Um, I was doing something wrong. And I basically just tried it enough times that I eventually like got up there and it felt like I clipped through the ceiling. Probably didn't intend for me to do that, but I got close enough that it just was like, eh, we'll just kind of push you the rest of the way up and mercifully give me that remote. But it felt wrong. It felt wrong to me. But yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of stuff happening in this level that I don't know, you pick up the Chinese takeout boxes. Okay. And then the yin yang symbols and then the kabuki masks. And I think the kabuki mask was the moment where it's like, wait a minute, isn't those are Japanese, right? Like the rest of this level is kind of like got like a Chinese vibe going on. I mean, the, the rest of the level also has a lot of a lot of Japanese things, even even in terms of like the signs up in the, in, like, sushi the beginning signs and, area. Yeah. yeah, like it's I, I think the collectibles are the clearest single example we could give. Yeah, but this was not designed by people with like not even not designed by people with an eye towards cultural sensitivity, but like not clearly designed by people who have the vaguest broadest sense of the difference between chinese and japanese culture yeah yeah it's it's a little rough and then you have the uh the the window uh signs where it's like kind of a racist looking little cartoon guy and it's like yeah and this and this is like exactly the same discussion we had with like the vaguely orientalist level set in the first gex and like the discussion is exactly the same except maybe worse because there is more detail here because it was like more of an open world game. There's more space for world building, but like it's pretty depressing that after a couple years, it is still at least as racist. <laughs> yep. This time in 3d. Uh, so, so uh, just before we move on to the next level, or I guess the, the boss, the one thing I do want to note about the signage in this level, there is another edit. There's another difference between this and the 64 Ooh. version. There is a sign that I believe uh, says uh, like happy endings massage or something like that. Good times massage in the 64 version. It says good times message. (laughs) (laughs) Glad they caught that one. Kids are really going to be like, uh, you know, massages. Those aren't good. Shouldn't be getting those. That's good. We can't we can't have mild sexual innuendo inside our racism. (laughs) Yeah, so that I, that was that was something. I gotta make sure there's not another one of these. But uh, while I'm looking at these pictures real quick, do you want to talk about Mushu Pork? Yeah. So this was a cool little boss fight. You have Mushu Pork again, a perhaps a questionable character of the, uh, just like a giant pig, and you are in a room that has electricity and things like that. Um, the room is basically like a donut, and there is a there is an electricity switch. Where, like, if you flip that big power switch, he will get damaged and he will get electrocuted. If you flip that switch, a, like, lightning shockwave will come out that you have to jump over. 
Um, and so the, it is basically a kiting boss where like you have to get him away from the light switch so you can then run around the circle to go back to the switch and get it before he comes back. Um, which like it was cool, fun, fun little mechanic, like fun little area with like a, a fixed camera, like worked pretty well. Um, I had a problem where so you do that like two or three times, and then in the like across the middle of this donut, as it were, there is like a grating over like electricity floor or something. I don't know. That's just like a little strip in each area. And after you electrocute him two or three times, that grating goes away, and there's you now have to like jump over that. What I experienced was once that happened for like five or 10 minutes, I just couldn't ever get him to cross that threshold. Like he wouldn't make that jump. So I assumed like, okay, for the challenge for the last part of this, like you have to somehow like navigate in there where he is. But anytime I got too close to him, like if I tried to kite him again by just having him come out to the point by which he wouldn't move. And then I ran around the other side, that was too slow. If I tried to run past him, he would kill me. I didn't know what to do. And eventually I figured out like, okay, it is just harder to kite him, but you can still like, he will cross that little barrier yeah. if you do it the right way. But like something, something felt wrong about his pathfinding in a way that like made me like took, I intuitively knew what I needed to do to solve it. And the game's presumably pathfinding bugs made me doubt myself in a way that made this fight take 10, 20 minutes longer than it should have, which mm-hmm. wasn't satisfying. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It, so the fight, the fight was fine. Better than, better than Tiki brothers, in my opinion. Yeah, I think now that, other than that bug, now that I know that, like, this is, in fact, the way you are supposed to do it, I think this is a more fun fight than Tiki Brothers. Yeah, the thing the thing I like about this level is it kind of, it gives me, like, Crash Bandicoot vibes. It feels like something that, like, you're fighting, like, uh, Dr. Cortex, or, like, the, um, there's, like, a kangaroo, or, like, yeah, all the, all the enemies fight are, like, weird animals that he's, like, given tech powers, or whatever. He's, like, modified in some way. I did also want to mention, I forgot to, I skipped over this for the uh, www.com level under trivia it says this level's name seems to parody web domains uh web domain names in general that's good intel i'm glad that they put yeah. that on here there's also I an thought it was egg. seinfeld reference <laughs> there's also an easter egg at this level you can find a secret tip ball like one of the little diamonds question mark things um which we have not seen a whole lot of in this game actually no yeah like there, there are a bunch in the there are a bunch in the in like the tune world yeah. And uh, you can go to a secret website, and I will link you to this uh, from the uh, the Wayback Machine here. And uh, this website is, or was, I guess, no longer live, obviously, only an archive, uh, crystald.com slash secretgex.html. Uh, and the text here says, congratulations, you found the secret gex, enter the gecko webpage. We hope you enjoy the cheats and other cool gex goodies. I would like to say the requirements for download on this page are WinZip, Windows 95, and Microsoft Plus. Um, what is Microsoft Plus? I Microsoft Plus. I have encountered this recently while looking up sound effects from Windows 95 and 98. Like it includes a bunch of like theme sounds, um, which from from context, like I would imagine that is what lets you theme Windows, since since it is asking you to download a Gex theme with wallpaper sounds and icons. It also has a list of cheat codes. I will also say that I am heartbroken that there is a broken image that we can no longer see from this Wayback Machine archive that is called titletrans.gif. <laughs> if anyone out there has access to the secret gex titletrans.gif, I would love to see it. Yes, please, please. I really want to know what titletrans.gif uh, was on this website. 
I also appreciate that there's a, a Nintendo 64 cheat code here to unlock all the levels because I am going to, as I, I am going to hundred percent this PlayStation game, I don't really want to do it twice. So um, I will be cheating to get to the rest of the 64 levels wow. just to do my comparisons. And here I thought you were the world's number one Gex fan. Uh, yeah, you're right. I should rescind my title. No, if someone use, out there use, use the cheat code. Use, use the cheat code. If someone out there can show me the retro achievements profile that they have all the achievements for both Enter the Gecko and uh, Gex sixty four, I will hand over my title because that will be proof enough for me. Alternatively, I'm willing to hand that title to anyone who is able to give us titletrans.gif. Uh yeah, yeah. Also, yes. If you happen to have that somewhere, I would also greatly appreciate that. All right. So, do we want to do want to wrap up with our our last segment here? Yeah. Um so so I want to start by by giving some context. There is a there is a Gex world I discovered that we have not talked about yet. So the 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 title for this level is Gex and the Bard's Adventure. It has three remotes you can collect. The Taming of the Shrewd in which you collect remotes by taming wild animals in the forest. Romeo and Juggalo in which you balance tight ropes and perform acrobatics to collect remotes and Hamlet's Haunted Hall where you solve puzzles and avoid traps in a haunted castle to collect remotes. Now, the thing is, this was not made by Crystal Dynamics. This was not made by a fan. This was generated by ChatGPT, um, which you may be familiar with. It is a tool provided by OpenAI, where like GPT-3 is, in, in broad strokes, a neural network that is able to produce text, that you can ask it for things and have a conversation with it, and it has been trained on hundreds and hundreds of gigabytes of text on the internet that has sort of a large static corpus of human knowledge and can produce a, a very sometimes accurate, sometimes believable, often flat out incorrect simulacrum of, of human creativity. It is clearly very, very good at producing Gex-like content, in, including producing very, very bad puns that just <laughs> like the real Gex don't really hold up if you think about it, such as Romeo and Juggle O, like that isn't. It sounds like it's a pun on Romeo and Juliet, but it's not. Yes, uh, in a way that like, like it's not a good joke, but it is also a bad joke in the same way that Frankensteinfeld is. <laughs> I, I do. I do want to point out too. It was before we started recording, but I did say Romeo and Juggle O out loud, and Amelia did a spit take before we started recording <laughs> uh, because it is just it is just so funny that you can't even contain yourself. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and so, and so the, the other part of this sort of description that I asked it to generate that we didn't read is it is very, very good at generating Gex barks. Uh, for example, it generated some barks for this level Gex and the Bard's Adventure, such as to be or not to be a remote collector. That is the question. Or this forest is wilder than a midsummer night's dream. Or my personal favorite, I guess all the world's a stage and I'm the star of this one. Which, which has led to our new segment on the show where, where my wonderful co-host Izzy has generated some other procedurally generated Gex barks that do not actually appear in-game. And she also has some real barks that appear in-game. And I'm going to have to guess which ones actually appear in-game. <clears throat> okay, so I have six quotes here. Three of these quotes are from Gex to Enter the Gecko 3D64. And three of these quotes were generated by chat GPT. So you will notice there's a bit of a theme here. And I did that intentionally to make sure that they were kind of like all in the same alignment. Yeah. Again, like, like if you had, if you had used one of the Shakespeare theme ones, that would have been obvious. <laughs> yeah. There is not to my knowledge, a Shakespeare themed world in Gex. 
Okay, so number one, we've got screw the force. Who's got a grenade? My instinct is this is fake because there are no grenades in the game. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, first sign of an Ewok. I'm out of here. I think that's plausible. Okay. Uh, Number three, the dark side has nothing on my tongue. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think that's fake. Number four, there's a gecko on my tail. R2, see what you can do with it. I hmm, I suspect that might be fake just because I, I don't know if he talks about geckos in game, but yeah, let's let's keep going. Number five. These are not the flies you're looking for. That feels plausible. Number six. May the tail be with you. <sighs> I want that to be real. I want may the tail be with you, and these are not the flies you're looking for to be real. And which of the others, I think... I think first sign of an Ewok I'm out of here is also real. Okay. Is that your final answer? Yes. Okay. You, I'm not good at, at math, but I think you uh, got like 33%. <laughs> <laughs> you got one of the three, correct. That's incredible. First sign of an Ewok. The, the real quotes are, first sign of an Ewok, I'm out of here. Yeah. Screw the force. Who's got a grenade? And there's a gecko on my tail, R2. See what you can do with it. Huh. Those are all can- canonical quotes. Interesting. The fake ones generated by ChatGPT. May the tail be with you. The dark side has nothing of my tongue. <laughs> and these are not the flies you're looking for. Fascinating. So, uh, admirable, admirable try, Amelia. You, uh, you did your best and you failed, but that's okay. The feature, the feature is terrifying. Yep, the computers it's too the computers too real. They're too good at writing gex quotes apparently. But yeah, that I think that's all we got for this week. Amelia, do you want to pick one of your favorites out of these out of these quotes to to be our sign off for the week? Um it can I, be a I think I'm going to I'm going to read one one other chat GPT one that I, <laughs> okay. that, I gener- that I generated. Uh the the specific context is Gex had just witnessed a clown get hit in the face with a pie. And he says in response well, I guess that clown just got served a slice of humble pie. <laughs>